What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short, bite-sized episodes. Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. All right, what is up? And welcome back to another episode of the Long Game Podcast. Today, I am joined again by Ben Lake. Uh, ben is an advisor at Miracle Mile. He's uh, one of the best advisors I know. He's actually the advisor that, you know, I'm going around telling everybody like, hey, I partner with this other really great advisor on our high net worth, ultra high net worth cases. And um, so, Ben, welcome, man. Thank you, Thomas. It's a pleasure as always. Love chatting with you. And I'm excited to uh, once again be on the podcast. I'm curious what episode this is. I think we hit number 100 last time I was on. Yeah, this is like, I, I honestly only tracked because I saw that it was 100. So maybe this is like 110. I took last week off um, when my brand new hire who you've met was in town and we were like going to do one and they were like, we have so much other stuff to get done. So we took it off, but I think you are the fastest person to come back unless somebody was in a series. So be honored, of course. <laughs> well, the honor is all mine. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. So I'm really excited actually to get into today's topic. Um, so, you know, like in the last year when we started to work together, we've, we've started to work with some pretty high net worth clients, call it, you know, 40 to 100 million net worth. And one of the most complex parts is, you know, the business sale. And we did the whole series before really talking through, you know, planning for that business sale. So maybe we'll go a little bit in that today, but more so what I think about is like post that sale. And, and this isn't, I think we can use the cases that we've worked on without, you know, sharing anything specific, but this can be applied to everybody of just like the decision tree, right? Like how we think through how we use our money, how we prioritize it, what can be affordable, what can be good decisions, what can be bad decisions and move from there. So I'm curious, you know, wh where do you even start that conversation? Yeah, I think it's, it's a great question because the conversation actually starts as early as possible, right? It really starts before the sale because as you know, like everything we do has to be oriented around each person's or family's unique goals and what they are hoping to achieve with their lives. So the earlier someone starts talking about, hey, I wanna start thinking about selling my business, the better, because the better planning outcomes happen if we can do a lot of stuff in advance. And the post-sale planning is maybe the more exciting part to some people, because a lot of it revolves around, hey, like you're going to come into all of this money. And if you want to sail off into the sunset, here's how we can make that last forever and create generational wealth for you. Or if you want to go down more of the, hey, I have this other great idea. Maybe I'm a serial entrepreneur. Or I want to do this other exciting thing. Here's how we can fund that in the most efficient way possible and let that kind of um, basically take off, right? With a, with a lot of extra fuel right at the, at the get-go. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways to think about it. And the conversation, again, it's, I'm glad you mentioned the word decision tree, because that's always how I kind of think about things mentally as I'm having these conversations. And there's the two parts of it. There's sort of the, here's the objective side of the question. And if I was a robot, I would just tell you this answer, this answer, and this answer. But you have to match that to the goals, right? To each person. So there has to be that subjective element of, well, here's what they actually want. So if this robotic answer doesn't match that, then there's no point in giving that advice. 
Yeah, I think um, going through this type of planning, especially in the last few years, I've moved more to like planning with people that are going to sell their business one day or equity compensation. They have these liquidity events. And I think people over, I don't know if they overthink, but they, they think that they can do more with the money that they're going to have, right? They're like, okay, I'm going to have this liquidity event. We're going to get this house and this house and this house. Like maybe now we're going to start to fly on private jets. And obviously this is the higher net worth group, but younger people are still like, or, or lower net worth people are still like, I'm going to upgrade houses for one, you know, we're going to start doing more on trips, you know, maybe we're not going to work as much anymore. We're going to fly first class everywhere. You know, they really bring their lifestyle up and what they fail to realize is, you know, as expenses go up, what you need from that portfolio also goes up, right? Like you have to have a way to pay for this, but when you have all of these huge outlays of cash, like the upgrade, the house, the buy the nicer car, whatever you're driving down that portfolio value. And so what we're finding is like, Hey, here's all of your goals. We got to show you that's actually not possible. And, and that is not a fun part of the job. I actually did an interview this last week with uh, a person, uh, you know, just some company, they'll put out a, a blog on it, or whatever. And it was all about like, what are the hardest things to, to tell your clients that you have to tell them? And for me, a lot of the things that I talked about was actually around this, right? Like we all have these huge wants and a lot of times we can't do them. And I think we have this really hard side of being a financial planner of like not shooting down people's dreams and not just specifically telling them like we really have to show them like hey if this if you really want this this is what it means if you want this this and this you might actually have to keep working right like you might have this liquidity event you might have this sale you might whatever it is and you thought you were going to retire but if you want all of these things you at least need to let this portfolio continue to compound for 10, 15, 20 years before you start drawing on it because of all those things that you want to pay for. And that's not a fun thing, but like you and I, when we sit down with these clients, like you're toggling these things on and off, like, right. Hey, here's every goal that you said you wanted. You run out of money in 12 years. Mm. Is, is that what you want? Like you're selling this massive business. You're going to run out like, okay, well, that's probably not what I want to do. Okay. Well then what if we just took away this goal? Right. And they're like, oh, well, you know, that looks a little better. We're still not there. And, and this is where the decision tree comes in. And I think prioritization, right? Like liquidity event comes. What is the number one thing that you want to do, right? And is that doable? Okay, great. We know that's doable. Then what's this next layer, right? And then what's this next layer? Because as a lot of these people are, they're dreamers. They have all the things that they want to accomplish. And then we can't. The only way to figure out where to move the money is actually to prioritize what matters most to them. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think that when you put it in those terms of kind of, let's think about it from the business owners, the client's point of view, right? You show them like, hey, this is what you said you wanted. Here's what this looks like. Or you, you create this kind of visual experience of if you do all these things, maybe it goes well, maybe it goes catastrophically. But then you can say, all right, well, let's go down the list. What is important and what can we maybe call secondary, tertiary, or just unimportant altogether? And like have that visual experience of showing if you want all these things, you got to work longer or sell for more or wait. Or if you want these four things, great. You can do all this stuff now and forget the other however many things that we've just taken off the list. But I think that the overall like thought process that you're describing is also the, like you said, like the less fun part of these kinds of plans, which is, you know, in addition to all these amazing things you can do with, you know, liquidity post some kind of event or sale or whatever it is, there's also all the risks, right? What are the risks that are key to think about 
for the long-term success and sustainability of your financial life. And overspending is certainly a big one. It's probably one of the, one of the bigger ones for anyone coming into sudden wealth. It's not just business owners going through a sale, right? Sudden wealth is the same kind of psychological experience that lottery winners get. A lot of the times it happens to athletes, entertainers, musicians, you know, the pro gamers that I work with, all those, all those kinds of folks have a similar type of, it's a challenge, but it's, it's natural human bias to, you know, want immediate gratification and overspending can be a huge risk. There of course are other, you know, big risks. Um, you know, the ones that we plan for, I think very adeptly and very uh, strategically and in a more interesting way are the things that I call like invaders of wealth, income taxes, capital gains tax, estate tax, of course, especially if you have, you know, generational planning you want to do. Estate tax can be a massive chunk coming out of it. And as I'm sure we've said probably, you know, 800 times in the last like nine months, the clock is ticking to do some of those kinds of plans because 2025, 2026 is kind of the deadline to do a lot of this stuff before the estate exemption gets cut in half on the gift tax exemption. Um, and there's a couple others. You know, interestingly enough, I was just talking to a um, a slightly older couple than the ones we usually work with who are um, just entering their retirement years. And, you know, part of their planning was also like, hey, like you've built this great net worth. You can, you know, sustain this level of spending. Or if you want to do it, we can look at multi year time frames where if you want to travel a lot for the first couple of years of retirement and then kind of you know drop that down a little bit to a more sustainable level after you can do that and here's how but their biggest risk was actually the cost of care right if you need long-term care at some point later in life um not only is that becoming increasingly expensive because healthcare costs are inflating so rapidly yeah. um, but it's also becoming increasingly likely right the end the odds of one person in a couple going to need long-term care at some point in their life is close to 60 or 70%. And the odd of the odds of, um, you know, both people needing care um, is also incredibly high. I could be a little off of those numbers. I should probably check that, but we were just having this conversation and it was um, an eye opener for them because they don't no No one wants to think about this kind of stuff, right? It's not, yeah. that's not their biggest goal. Their biggest goal is to potentially start, you know, traveling more flying first class private, you know, getting a yacht, you know, whatever it might be all these fun expenses, but you don't want to put yourself in a position where you can no longer, you know, fund your care or your livelihood much later in life. So yeah, th those big risks like that, you know, longevity risk, outliving your money. Those are, those are important things to mention, even if they're a little bit unsexy, they kind of make us feel more like, you know, the, the coach of the athletic team, right? We're kind of giving them yeah. a tough love, like, Hey, here's what the limits are, but here's how you got to push yourself. And here's where you got to focus on your goals and sacrifices other things if you want to make this work. Yeah, I want to come back to that point, but you brought up longevity. And that's really interesting to me too, because I think the average person you sit down with, is probably like, yeah, I'll probably live to be like 80 to 85, right? And one of my takeaways from Future Proof is there was like this company that they do like super in-depth studies on this. And they're like, you know, you should be planning for your average client to be living past 94. Like the, the chances of them living that age, especially with me working with 30 to 40 year olds is, is really, really high. And so- there's a lot of DIYers out there that I don't think are necessarily thinking about how long that they're going to live and what those future healthcare costs are going to be. And that is a way for you to really fail on your planning. Totally. Totally. It's one of the things that scares me the most about the way I've seen some of like the modeling look for like the fire community, right? The financial independence kind of retire early thing. It's like, 
you got to be brutally honest with yourself. You can't just have one scenario be successful and hope that nothing else happens in your life, especially if you're 30 or 40 years old. Yeah. Um, like those risks can become life changers for the worse if you don't take care of them or don't think about them at all. Now, of course, I'm not trying to say like there's a, is a one risk for everyone to look at and there's one, you know, instrument to use to protect against that risk. That might be the case with some things, right? Like for this retirement couple, we're going to look at things like long-term care, you know, insurance might be more likely something like, you know, a life insurance policy with a long-term care rider. Um, yeah, I feel like that's where the trends are going these days, right? Like, it is, yeah, it's a the I, insurance world is tough with that stuff, you know, because the long-term care changes. Like, I think people get sold it and they're like, this is going to, this is going to cover you this many years at this amount of dollar amount. And then all of a sudden, four years later, their premiums are double. They were paying, you know, already like 9,000 a year. Now it's $18,000 a year. And they're like, Man, I didn't know that this is how it could be because everybody had this good light on long-term care because of 20, 30 years ago, it was like this amazing product and amazing policy. And now it's not. And that's actually one of the use cases. Like I harp on permanent life insurance all the time, but more in like this low to mid to middle net worth space, but the, you know, mid to high net worth space, permanent life insurance can actually have a lot of good use cases and, and long-term care and those hybrid policies are one of them. Yeah, totally. And there's there's different types of policies. We we don't get into too much into the weeds, but I'll mention this. Like a lot of I think, you know, the Twitterverse in particular likes to hate on um traditional like cash value whole life policies. Some of these hybrid policies don't have to look like that at all. They can be, you know, universal life policies with this with this accelerated death benefit rider with long-term care coverage. Um there's actually a, a newer policy we just heard about that is much more about creating um long-term care is sort of an indemnity as opposed to just like a benefit the person has to get. It's a bit more user friendly, but hmm. to put it politely, I will say that innovation in the insurance world has never necessarily been like the most amazing thing to model after for most industries, but maybe we're getting there. Anyway, the key, I think the key part of this conversation is that you got to understand the risks and then look at what tools you actually want to use to address that. Like not everyone is going to need insurance. They could self insure with things like more disciplined spending habits, with things like, you know, maybe a dedicated source of their net worth, like a dedicated piece of their investment portfolio, that's going to be there to take care of what if you need long-term care. And if you don't need long-term care, great. Maybe it pays for estate taxes, or maybe it's just something you want to leave to the next generation if you don't need it. Or yeah. you need it. So there's a lot of different ways to address that. Um, but again, I think that that goes back to the decision tree conversation. Yeah, sort of which... Like here are your goals. Here's what you're asking about. Here are the things you're not asking about. We got to still think about. And that's part of being that, you know, tough love coach. Well, that, that's one thing we know about the value that we provide is, yes, there are a lot of people who can go figure out some of the answers, but there's a whole world of things that people don't even know to ask about or think about that we can bring to their attention and then also be able to help figure out the solutions on, which yeah. which makes me want to go back. So we're talking about the decision tree here. And a lot of what we talked about early on was kind of like the lifestyle stuff. But I think if you go read blog posts, you go read Twitter, maybe you go talk to a tax specialist who's just going to come up with tax strategies. The problem is, is that you don't actually know how to fulfill them in the order of the decision tree, right? And I think that's why for us, and it's something that I'm super intentional about is like always starting with the goals in mind, 
And this makes me think about, you know, the two of the households that we've been working on have exact opposite goals, right? So we have one side here who's going to go through a business sale and they care about charity and they care about, you know, they don't really want to work as much anymore. They're not as much about lifestyle. They want to make sure the kids are taken care of and get a lot of money. And then we have another side who's more of like the die was zero, right? Like I worked hard for this. I earned this. I don't really want my kids to have this crazy leg up and not have to work. So I want to use it on experiences and fun and you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And like, if, if if we weren't intentional about getting to know them really well and what they were trying to accomplish, we would come up with very similar strategies of how to do it. Right. We'd have a large percentage going to charity for the tax savings. We would be using a lot of different estate planning tools on both sides of it. And that would really be missing out on what they want to do, right? The one side's like all for it, right? I understand that like if we do a lot with charity, it's still going to have a cost to us. It's going to reduce taxes a lot, but most of where that money is going to end up going is going to be going to charity. And to them, that is really, really important. If we would have approached the other side, the other client with that situation, they'd be like, you're not listening to me, right? Like that is yeah. not what I want to do. Like I, that's not the the spot where I really want to be putting my money. Or if we brought up slats and grats and eyelet, like, you know, all of the different estate planning tools, a lot of them would be like, well, I don't, th- it doesn't matter to me that this gets passed on to my kids. Sure. Like a slap might make sense between me and my spouse, but most of the other tools aren't something that I really care about. I would actually rather pay a little bit more in tax and that's okay knowing that that's going to go get spent. That's going to buy another house, a car, maybe a private jet, et cetera. And I, I always come back to this because I think a lot of financial planners, especially just don't do this well. And then they wonder why there's a misalignment between what they recommend and actually what gets done. And it has to be collaborative here, right? The die with zero people are going to think exactly different than the let's set up my kids, my grandkids, charity, et cetera. I don't actually care about changing my lifestyle at all. This is cool. And, you know, maybe I won't work anymore. And so I want to carve out that piece, but you know, those are such different situations. Yeah, totally. And it's a great couple of examples to compare because the, you know, the ending results of the planning is they're wildly different, Right. And I think that's, you know, that's why they both appreciate these different approaches, because, you know, in some ways we can basically say like, listen, you know, here are the tools in the tool shed and these ones are the shiniest. Go use these shiny tools. Don't worry about everything else. And probably both would be unhappy, right? Maybe the first one who's like, you know, very charitably inclined, they'd be like, great, done. Here you go. Perfect. We don't want to hear anymore. Um, And the other one would be like, like you said, you're not listening to me. But, you know, I think our job is much more about like, here are the tools in the tool shed these are the ones that help you live the life you want to lead, right? Simple yeah. as that. And they help you create this. And yeah. you know, what's interesting is it all, not, not just with the clients, like the conversations with the clients, of course, are the most important at the end of the day. But even beyond that, it also means that our advice and like the plans we want to implement need to be talked about very differently with their accountants and with their lawyers and with their other professionals. Because the, like the accountants, you know, sometimes they do think the same as us. Sometimes they don't. And they just want to kind of get the most, you know, tax savings in that one year. If that was the only person that those people were listening to, they would get that kind of maybe robotic advice and you don't want to be happy. And so like part of our job, at least in my opinion, is to also bring into the fold of this planning conversation and process those other professionals so that everyone's on the same page. The client is not hearing different advice that's conflicting from different people in their lives. And that's another thing that we've experienced kind of a lot, like especially recently, where people had... You know, they came to us or they found us for some reason or whatever it was. And they said, you know what, 
this is this one thing my accountant said to do. And we're kind of looking at it like, that's why, what do you mean? Uh, you know, so some of that I think is, is sort of the next layer of delivering the right strategies. Yeah. Yeah. I really do think it's interesting because this decision tree is goals, like the, the lifestyle stuff, but it's also like in order, what matters to you, right? So we go back to the charity, we go back to providing for kids, we go back to whatever, and like all, how all of that works together dictates what gets done. But you, you were just talking about like some of the value we provide by putting people on the same page. I think one of the other, the, the thing that actually I have realized more and more of the last couple of years by who we work with is, is like nine, I don't know if 90% is the right way, like, but well over 50% of the value we provide is actually just making sure things get done. Like it amazes me how challenging it really is to get different tasks done for different people. Like, cause everything that they're being given is like, re-explain to me why we're doing this again. Okay. Then tell me how to do it. And then they're doing it. And there's a challenge that comes up. And then how do I do this next step? And that's like a, a vast majority of our job. So I see people all the time talk about like, don't pay this advisor 1% or don't pay a financial advisor when you can just be in index funds. And it's like, I don't think people actually realize, like I, I look at the clients that come into me and what they had done in the year before. And then I look at the next year and I'm like, oh my goodness, right? Like some of these things were things that you knew to do. Other things were things that we had to help educate you on and make sure you knew to do and how to be efficient on. But it's reality, like you might say you knew how to do it, but you've never done it in any single year before because you actually needed somebody to hold your hand, remind you to do it because these people that we work with, I mean, right, they're they're built, they're, most of them are CEOs of massive, well, not massive, but good sized businesses. Like, obviously this isn't like they're the CEO of Salesforce, but they're the CEO of, you know, 500 or five, 50 to $200 million businesses. They have kids. Life is always taking over, right? And like, Right now we're going through this with a new client. It's like email will come and they'll be like, oh, hey, trying to figure out how to get this to you. And we have a 30 minute window before it's like two weeks away till they get that next 30 minute window to right. actually think about one thing. And so I always just come back to like hand holding and like me responding almost instantly to them is like one of the biggest value adds. Otherwise nothing's going to get done. 100% because it's so like, you know, if you look back at like the history of financial planning, you know, it used to be like, hey, you're going to pay us to give you this 140 page document and good luck doing everything in it. And, yeah. if, you know, what percentage of people would get that document and either never look at it again or look at it and be like, OK, now what? And have no idea what to do next. Right. You know, that really that funny. needs to change and has changed, I think, for the better. What's really funny is I send out like these really beautiful financial plans. They're like seven, eight pages and they're very, very, very detailed. And then I realize like people love them, but they don't, it's hard for them to end up going back into it because they're just like, it's a PDF, whatever. So now I put it inside of our financial planning software, but I put like only the key parts, like what needs to get done. And now like that helps them be, it be in front of them, but they're like, Hey, what did you mean by this? And I'm like, the, the actual details on the other plan. I just want you to know the action. I'm like, go back to it. They're like, I can't find it. I'm like, it's in an email. I sent it to you. They're like, wait, what are you talking about? I'm like the financial plan went over and they're like, oh yeah. Like I, I finally, I finally remember. And, and that's mm -hmm. just kind of like the world that we live in, right? Like it is hard to get things done. We are busy. We, a lot of people do need their handheld. It was actually Interestingly enough, this is something I was talking to a lot of people about at Future Proof. There's just all these advisors who are like, you know, I know what I need to do. I just don't do it, right? Like I, I've gotten lazy. I know I need to do this with my marketing. I know I need to like, you know, blah, 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 whatever it is. And I was like, you know, maybe you should just get a coach, right? And the the, the power of a coach 
for a lot of people is not actually the information they're telling you to do. It's that you and them have dedicated time to implement the things that you know that you need to do. Because if they're, for a lot of people, if you don't have that, you don't do it, right? It's personal yeah. trainers. A lot of people do need personal trainers because they need somebody to just be dedicated to helping them, you know, take the next step and the next step and the next step. And there is a lot of power in that, especially for what we do with clients. Like if they don't implement this tax strategy, that could be hundreds of thousands of dollar difference in this oh, yeah. year of taxes, let alone in the future. If we didn't just hold their hand, make sure we're like emailing with them and the CPA, make sure we're hopping on the call because they never would have related to the CPA. And that's super valuable. Absolutely. And like some of it can also be like pretty time sensitive sometimes, right? Like, you know, I have a client who's just trying to do something as simple, which should be as simple as just like an old 401k rollover, which first of all, they found it because we had this planning conversation, they forgot it existed. And I was kind of like, you know, asking the questions like, what other employers do you have? Did you roll everything over from there? And they're like, oh yeah, I might have some money there. It's like a hundred thousand dollars. Just, they just forgot about it from their existence. Um, so boom, there's some value out of 1%, but yeah. <laughs> But like then the one of the potential problems with those kinds of old rollovers is that there's still plenty of custodians out there who Make don't do direct. direct rollovers. They're just going to mail you a check and you have 60 days to get it into your you know rollover IRA. It's taxable and that's not a fun tax hit. You've got penalties, like what a ridiculous pain in the butt. So, you know, just making sure that gets done has its own source of kind of like value. And, and that's a very basic one. Had another one where they were going through, they, they needed some like life insurance as a you know young parent. Um, and they were just trying to get some, you know, basic coverage, but you know, very busy. Maybe this is the broader point of your uh, what you're just talking about, is that people's lives have so much going on these days, and it's, it's like everyone's attention is being pulled in 800 million directions. So having an advisor, having a fitness trainer, having whatever it is, keep you kind of disciplined to get these things done is immensely valuable. And yeah, a lot of, a lot of times what they're good, what the, what, who we work with will get done is like the easy, like biggest wins, I would say. But a lot of the things fall down the list. And I was talking to another advisor uh, this last week and they had a client situation where they just like, it was a single mom. They just kept reminding, like, you need to get this life insurance. Right. And they were like, you know, uh, no, push it off. No, push it off. Eventually they went through and they're like, oh, you know, the price is a little bit more than I wanted to be push it off. Now she just got diagnosed with cancer. Oh. And they're like, how do we help get her insurance now? And it's like, you can't, right? Like this, nobody's going to insure somebody with cancer unless they're done in like if years down the line. And they're like, hey, you know, you'll probably get a bad health rating, but now you have this huge risk, right? And like I, everybody I work with, they come in, most of them don't have any extra life insurance. They have like the one time through work, right? They maybe have no disability insurance. Maybe they have some through work. Like I'm going through a client right now who makes 30K a month. Um, on average, pre-bonus, equity comp, et cetera. And he was like, oh, I have 60% disability through work. It's paid for by the employer, which means, you know, it ends up being less, but the cap is 10,000 a month. So in all reality, like if anything happens to him, he has about 6,500 to $7,000 a month in income. Their spending is two and a half times that, right? Like that's a big risk that they didn't think about the yeah. income. They have no estate planning, right? Like if something happens to them, they have no idea where their kids are gonna go. They have no trust set up. And like, that's even the start. They haven't done backdoor Ross. They have all this equity compensation that they have no strategy around doing. Like th this is just the common thing that we see is we have really smart people who are in really awesome financial situations that could be in really, really, really awesome financial situations with just some handholding and education and like making sure every year 
we are being smart about the different things that we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And some some of those can lead to what I would call catastrophes, right? Like if you actually wind up getting disabled, can't work again, and you have to completely sacrifice your your lifestyle by cutting it more than in half, you know, you're going to be miserable about it. But some of them are, aren't even quite that, you know, necessarily impactful or I don't know, dramatic, I guess is the word. But some of them can also just be sort of, hey, like you've got some money or you had some savings and it's just built up and it's just sitting in a bank account. Like this this happened a lot in the last couple of years. People were just kind of worried about the economy or the markets or the real estate that they've got, whatever it is, and they've let cash build up. And the the risk of inaction is sort of this risk that we're kind of describing very broadly stated. And the risk of inaction with that stuff is you're just missing, to some extent, free money and to other extent, like longevity, like wealth accumulation, right? Like if you take just a little, like maybe almost no extra risk and just pop it in like T-bills or a money market fund, you turn what you're probably getting at a you know checking account interest rate of 0.02% into like five and a half percent right now. I think I looked yesterday and, you know, three and six month T-bills are somewhere in that five and a half percent plus range at this point. Um, you know, and if you're putting it to work for almost a more broad, like, yeah, hey, we're going to use this to live off of let's, let's have some portion of it, you know, grow that, that in and of itself can help reduce things that we talked about longevity risk, right? It might create other things that you need to look at, but that risk of inaction has been a very common theme for new clients. And it's not quite as bad as like, you know, you're missing an estate plan. You don't have anywhere near enough disability insurance or you're way overspending, but it can fix some of those problems, <laughs> fix a yeah. lot of the future goals that might be missed out otherwise. Yeah. I'm curious for you, like maybe a good way to the last five, 10 minutes wrap this up is going back to the decision tree and, you know, thinking through money, how we prioritize things. Like what are some, like a few of the biggest mistakes you see people make with their money around this idea? That's a good question. I think, you know, the, the biggest mistake that's out there is one that we've sort of touched on which is that they, you know, they get very excited with, Hey, like I'm coming into this money, I'm going to sell this business or I've got this, you know, really high income and I have all these things I want to do with it. And they don't think about the potential risks at all, right? They don't want to think about them just natural. And some of those risks we talked on, talked about are overspending it, um, you know, not considering what happens in a, you know, worse scenario than what you're expecting. It doesn't be like horrible scenario, but just, not taking um, any of that into consideration, I think are, are some of the biggest mistakes just in, as a general concept. Yeah. The other is one I actually talked about with a reporter kind of recently, which is um, just taking bad advice can actually be a shockingly big risk. Uh, you can talk about this too, I think, but there's a lot going on in like TikTok, for example, or YouTube or Twitter or wherever it is, but there's just like kind of crazy advice being given out some of which has a kernel of making sense, some of which is like borderline fraudulent or illegal. And taking like the hot tip of the day has always been sort of a massive risk. A lot of it recently is like played out pretty horribly. I won't go into too many of the details, but taking like, you know, like one like minute long clip you saw on the internet and being like, yep, I'm doing that with all my $10 million I'm getting from this business sale. And there's That's a perfect, and there, well, this is not necessarily on the business sale, but there's a perfect one right now that's been going around of like all over. It's like, did you know you own a house? You can rent it out under two weeks to the business and all of it is tax-free. And like, that is a fragmented part of the advice. Like that part is true. But then they have other people who are like billing to their business, like $5,000 a month for their tiny house or a day for their tiny house. And th there's a court <laughs> case going on right now that was like reasonable 
and like actually what it would be to rent your house for that day, those don't make sense, right? And so people hear right. this advice, they go like shoot it up or they're like, oh wait, I can buy, I, if I have a video in the background, I have a Ferrari, I can buy a Ferrari and write off the whole thing. And it's like, <laughs> I guess whatever the price for that one day is of, you know, this whole depreciation schedule, you might get like, you know, 1% of it as a write-off if that, but like, it's funny. I'm writing a blog post on like the 14th biggest or 14 biggest uh, tax like myths that are on social media right now. So pretty timely on that. But That's not to cut you off. Did you have any other ones? I can't wait to read that. Just to be honest, like I need to send that to everyone I know. But once you release that one, let me know for sure. Here we go. But, um, I guess there's there's a couple other big ones. Um, <laughs> one is just not telling your professional advisors in your life about big things that are going to happen. So like we've had a couple, you know, clients on uh, over the last couple of years, in fact, tell us like way after the fact, Hey, we sold our business by the way, or Hey, we've made all this money doing this thing. Like, do we need to pay taxes on that? Or like, should we do anything about that? It's kind of like, Oh man, <laughs> we could have done so much. And maybe some of that is more like missed opportunity than it is like, you know, catastrophic, you know, failure and the IRS is going to come bang your, on your door. But uh, that really does happen a lot. People sort of like forget to tell their accountant, forget to tell their advisor, or just like don't want to pay to hire a professional or a lawyer or whatever to look at things. Um, you know, that that happens quite a bit. But I guess the last thing I'll mention is, you know, again, when you're thinking about the decision tree of, hey, like, here's everything I want to accomplish. What do I need to do? What strategies can I think about to employ to get this done? Um, the other last two I'll, I'll mention very quickly are, one is just only thinking robotically and analytically. Right, forgetting about that subjective side that we've talked about throughout this, you know, this episode, and the other is the other thing we mentioned early on, which is getting the plan in place and then not following through and never getting it done. Yeah, like giving up that. You know, we we've had meetings where we were going to save people like thirty-seven million dollars in taxes between you no know, income tax, capital gains tax, and estate tax combined, and it's entirely possible that someone takes that advice and does it, and it's fantastic, and it's entirely possible that someone takes that advice and doesn't do any of it or decides not to you know work with us or whatever it might be and literally just donate that much money right eight figures of money to the government and you've heard me say this eight thousand times but uh the sad truth is that the government does not give out medals of honor for paying more in tax they don't uh no one's gonna say thank you no so, handwritten notes i know it's such a <laughs> so bogus yeah, it's, it's very very unprofessional really the irs to do that but it's the case seriously seriously so it's that's kind of the last big one is not actually following through to get it done or not having people help you do it. Yeah. A couple of ones that I want to add, um, I find for a lot of these, the people that I work with is we do the values. We understand it. We understand, you know, we get a plan. We understand how we're going to prioritize those things. But then all of a sudden, like they think complexity is required, right? Like there's this, there's mm -hmm. this feeling by people with higher net worth that they do need complexity in their finances. When in reality, out of anybody who needs complexity, they might even need it the least because they've they've made it at this point. And something that like, you know, I have clients approach me all the time. They're like, oh, had this new investment opportunity from a friend. It's like real estate. It's, you know, 12 months guaranteed 8% return plus 15% of profits. And it's like, the word guaranteed is not guaranteed. Like this is not the U S government on some, some T bills or whatever. Like this is just not guaranteed. And people have this belief that like, if it gets put in front of them, what are you going to do? Get a lawyer, sue them, hope they have money. Like I had a client who, before they worked with me, did something like this, put six figures into it. The person disappeared. 
like fully disappeared, took like $2.5 million away from people. It was somebody that they knew and they trusted. Like, you know, you can trust people, but you have no idea what's going to happen. Like there are no guarantees out there. And plus 8% guaranteed when you're in the 37% tax bracket is five and a half percent, which is literally T-bills right now. Like that's, <laughs> that might not be the best avenue to look at that. Um, one other thing I was going to talk about that you said is like kind of this, you know, not just following the mathematical answers. Like I think social media makes you believe they're just like everything is right. And, you know, there, there's black and white and personal finance and everybody should do the same thing. And, you know, I'm working on with a client right now. They're a doctor. Um, luckily, you know, first year as an attending, they make really good money. Their living expenses are pretty low. They have a lot of student loans, but it's at 3%, right? And so like a lot of it would be like, you know, stretch out those student loans, get your investing done. But their biggest goal is that they already have three kids and they want to have like five to seven. They yeah. want a big yard, a bigger house. And it's not about like, hey, you know, we want fancy things. It was like, we need space to do that, right? And their goal is to do that in four to five years. So instead of stretching out these student loans over 10 years at 3% and investing more, they're fine with, if we have to retire two to five years later by not investing as much now, but we can get to that house that aligns with our kids, like that is more important. How do we come up with a strategy around that? And so if you don't dig deep and understand that and where they're going, your financial plan would never align with it. There's a disconnect from the clients, but at the end of the day, we all want our money to align with what matters most. And for some people, they would, they would say, you know, that is a goal of mine, but I'll never work a day after 50, like prioritize that. And the house will come later. And there's other people who are like, by far the most important thing to me is the house. And then there's other people who are like, I just hate debt. We got to get rid of debt. And then I'll work on building and whatever trade-offs that creates, you know, I'm okay with, but like this digging deep and understanding people is so important. And I, I think that the average person just does not do this themselves. Like they don't even really know themselves. They don't really know what's that important to them. They really don't know how to prioritize these things. And it is just like the most important step one is understanding this to then go to the decision tree to then follow them. Like the decision tree is not the same for every single person the entire yeah. way. It's actually entirely different for every single person. Exactly. And that's actually the part that I love about our job the most is that we can, you know, we can understand the decision tree and the tools, but we get to be creative about which strategies to employ for people because everyone's different. Everyone's life, you know, means something else to them and their financial life needs to reflect that. It's exactly like you said, their money needs to reflect their values. And that's, I think, where, you know, uh, I won't speak for everybody in the profession, but I think it's where a lot of planners, you know, us included probably, um, get the most personal satisfaction out of how we help clients. It's that we get to watch people actually improve their happiness in life and their confidence in their future and all that kind of stuff. And we get to be creative about how to make that happen. Which is great. And, I, and I think this is why you and I, and a lot of the industry is, is shifting to be not just investments, right? Because like, how do we invest without understanding these things, right? Like if, if you were only an investment advisor and this doctor came to you, it'd be all about how do we get every extra dollar to be invested into this portfolio? Right. But in reality, that's just not what fits, right? And, totally. and it has to be, it has to be touching all of the avenues of their life, mixed with their money, mixed with their values, where they're where they're trying to go. You know, all of that is so important. Yeah, investments are just one more set of tools in you know the, the broader scheme of things, right? And there's all, all kinds of different investments you can tie to goals, but they need to be just that, right? And if the goals don't, if the goals aren't addressed 
buy buy an investment or some kind of investment strategy, you shouldn't overfocus on them, right? That this is kind of the classic analogy of, you know, to a carpenter, every problem is solved with a you know hammer and nail, and that's not the case if you're trying to do brain surgery, right? So <laughs> we're, yeah. we're sort of in that in that bucket of needing to be you know more than just investment advisors, more than just focused on tax, or more than just focused on you know insurance or whatever it is. It's all pieces in the puzzle. Yeah, and I, that's why. Again, I kind of like the flexibility and creativity we have being fiduciaries, being holistic, looking at all these different areas, um, just winds up being the best outcome for the clients. And I sit great at night because of that. Hmm. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so I guess as like a recap from this episode, it really is like step one before we talk any financial planning thing through anything is like you have to understand yourself, your goals, your values, and you know, you and your financial planner should be digging really deep into that. Once you know that, then it goes to the decision tree, right? Like, you know, here's all the things that you want to accomplish. How do we prioritize those and walk through the trade-off? So then ultimately we can make the decision of, of where you want to go, but then it does not stop there, right? Like we really have to, as a team between us, state planning attorney tax, like we all need to be on the same page and help hold the hands of, of these people. And, you know, it for the people listening, the, your team should be doing this. Like this is absolutely crucial. They should be helping everybody be on the same page and be holding your hand to be making sure that everything gets done. And, you know, as you're building this net worth, as you're getting farther down the line, it is really important to like stay focused, right? Like know what matters to you, know what you need to do. Don't get, you know, every new tax strategy you see or any investment your friend brings in front of you. Like those are all things that like, sometimes they can fit into your plan, but a lot of times they're actually just distractions that are going to end up hindering where you end up getting. Um, and, you know, you might not be thinking through all the right questions, right? Like the value of having people around you is having them guide you, help them help you think through these things that you never might've thought of. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's basically all that we're doing to help people. And I, I would assume after hearing all of this, people can start to get why you pay a financial advisor for all of this. You know, you have the accountability, we're the therapist, we're the life coach, you know, we're bringing them the information. Like this is a lot of parts to the job. And with the people that we work with, the impact is so high. Oh yeah, absolutely. So Ben, thanks for joining me today, man. Obviously, we're going to continue to do this a ton. Anytime we're talking and we're like, oh, that's a great topic, we're going to be hopping on. So everybody get to know Ben. He's literally one of the best advisors. If you if he would be on social media, you'd know it. But instead, I'm helping create that platform with him. Um, but everybody, thank you for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and we will see you back next week. Bye.